Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. Let's share the game. Coach, it is finally here. Go to www.dugnovacbasketball.com today to get three all-access practices, a finishing video, and a full-team film session from one of the best basketball educators in the world, Doug Novak of Bethel University. Open the doors and get full access to three practices, one full unedited film session, and a point-of-attack instructional finishing video. That's www.dugnovacbasketball.com to learn more or go to www.bivideoproductions.com to see all the ways we are sharing the game. Enjoy the podcast. Coaches, real treat today. Dustin Kearns is here from Appalachian State. And Coach, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thanks so much for having me on. I love your site. I love what you do, and I'm honored to be on it. Well, I'm honored to have you on, and uh, we're going to have a great conversation. And, uh, you know, incredible success. Uh, when you became a head coach at Presbyterian, I, in those two years, I mean, you completely turned a program around that had done nothing but losing for a long time and then quickly moved to Appalachian State and, again, won 18 games, ready for the postseason this year before everything happened. Just incredible turning around. So congrats on that. And an obvious starting point then is how do you flip programs so quick? Well, I think that I, I appreciate your kind words, but I'm just a small part of it. It's worked by a lot of people, but trying to get the, you know, to a couple things that I would recommend if you take over a program that has, you know, been struggling. The very first thing that I said to, the very first thing that I did with each hire was I called the players and parents immediately. And I said, I coach here, you play here, so you're my players and you're never going to feel any different. And so I think you've got to really establish a, a way you're going to do things and who you are. And I did never want my staff to, or me to ever come across like these weren't our guys. We coach here and they play here. They are our guys. And so I, I truly feel like it's got to get everybody in, in, you know, in the same direction. And then I did an exercise at both places that I thought was very beneficial. And I think when you are trying to flip a program, your program has to understand what loses before they know what wins. You can't just go in there and say, oh, we're going to win. We're going to win. I think everybody's got to understand what loses. And so I sat back and I evaluated. I talked to a lot of people and I just sat back for the first couple of weeks at both places and just took notes and asked the players, asked the ministers, asked other people, why did you think it didn't work? And then I just tried to connect some dots. You know, what are some common things that are being said? We're going to have a certain way we're going to do things. But, you know, after doing those kind of things, I tried to just listen and learn instead of just come in and just make some rash emotional decisions. And so I and give also the people ownership within the program. And, you know, in a sense, like, here's why. OK, this way you didn't think, well, this is what we're going to do to change it. But last thing and we'll move on is I I did an exercise early on with both programs. I got our team in the locker room and I asked them, what does the loser act like, talk like, work like, and in your all's opinion. And so they all started chiming in answers and I wrote up on the board, everything they said makes excuses, not coachable, not a good teammate, lazy, you know, like in fact, both teams had some different answers, right? But it was their answers. It was their answers. And I would say that at Presbyterian, we probably had about 16 things up there on the board. At Ab State, we had over 20. And after the exercise, because it was their answers, I said, okay, so you know, you know what a loser looks like, acts like, works like, talks like. You should, you're going to walk in this locker room every day and you're going to say, this is not me. This is not us. And I'm going to leave it up here until I feel like that's not the case. And so for uh, Presbyterian, probably I think I raced it in September when I just felt like that our habits and our way of doing things had really, truly changed. At App State, I, did, I left it up there all the way to November. Actually, I left it up there until we won our first game. They had to look at that on the locker room wall for six months. 
their answers. And so I did feel like that was very beneficial. And, and when I did a race with both teams, it was a very, quote, kind of rite of passage in a sense where I was telling them that I felt like that our habits and things had changed. And I did not just erase it to erase it. I, I truly felt that. I truly, and they knew that, that we had, you know, at, at both places, we won a scrimmage. I left it up there because I, I said, listen, a winner is consistent. The opposite is very different from this. And so those are a couple things, Chris, but fortunately it's been a work by a lot of people. And I give the players credit at both places for really embracing the things that we do and buying in and to what we were doing. But I always tell our staff, I want to lead the league in player relationships. And I think that's how you do it. You know, spending time and getting those guys, you know, just kind of engaged in what you believe in and what you're doing. Well, it's it's great stuff and a great reflection of the, all the work of everyone. And it also frames the conversation so well for your players about what's going to lead to success. And I love that. And I'm grateful because I have a really good set of notes about some of the things that you do. And I'm we get to deep dive into them. And this is going to be awesome for so many people. And we'll come back to some of the different things, uh, locker room models and stuff like that. But I love this concept. Every drill we do has 90 minutes on the clock. Can you explain that? Yeah, so everything that we do, one time as an assistant coach at Wofford, Mike Young, who's the head coach of Virginia Tech, who's one of the best coaches in the, in the game, he had a SOCOM preseason meeting. So he said, hey, you, you got to practice. Well, I followed the practice plan. One thing that you never know until you go through it is one thing I, I just didn't like was having 10 minutes for his own offense or, or 10 minutes for this and feeling like you were being rushed and you you just got through it. And so when I became a head coach, I spent a crazy amount of time. And if you're going to be a head coach, it's like, do you call thousand practice? Do you not call thousand practice? When do players get water? Like, there's a lot of things to kind of think about. And so I put 90 minutes on the clock of every drill. And the reason we do that is I'm not going to move on until I feel like we've gotten it where I want to get it. And our players especially know that I'm not going to move on. And so I don't want to be working on – a defensive drill, and our players look up and see one minute left, and they're like, hey, we're good, man. We only got a minute more. And if you come to one of our practices, our players know that we are not moving on until I feel like that it's what we're working on has gotten better. And so I might have a, an idea of how much time I want to spend on it, but they have no idea. And they also, we they've seen where – that clock is maybe now at 72 minutes and we've been working on defense for, you know, 18 minutes and they know, Hey, listen, this guy, he's shoot. He's really not moving on. We better get this right. And so that's, that's the reason I do it is I don't want to put myself on a timetable and be working on transition defense and not feel like it's any good and move on and then leave the practice for and feel like we're still not very good at transition defense. I'm not moving on to the next drill until I feel good about transition defense if that's what we're working on. I'm not moving on to the next drill until I feel good about what we're doing. And our players know this too. And so when I'm building the practice plan, it's more bullet point. Here's what I want to get better at today versus time. And I think it works for me. Most importantly, every coach is different. You got to find out what works for you. But I really think it works for the players too, because it sets a tone that we're not going to be able to just get through transition defense today and just move on. Yeah, the other part that I, I think is really important too is, and you mentioned this, is that obviously clock watching is a huge problem. But what players learn to do is they learn to pace themselves. And when you remove that factor, they're not going to be able to pace themselves and you're going to get more out of it. And I imagine like every coach is thinking, well, you're probably going really long with certain drills. And that's true, but you're also going shorter than you would with certain drills too, right? Uh, yes, yes. There are times where, I've got set aside maybe 10 minutes or something, but they are just phenomenal flying around. And they know that too. We move on, you know, and, and, and so we might work on something five, six minutes, get some good reps. But if we do it right, we don't need to just work on it for the time allotted. We move on. And so they know that too. And, and so I think that it ends up working when they really understand like, hey, if we just do this, we're going to be able to get through it. And that's when you get the good reps, right? You're not getting the, the pace reps, like you're saying. So I like it. I've done it every year. I've been a head coach and I will continue to do it. 
So you also mentioned in, uh, that with this, that you find that you're doing shorter, more intense practices all year. Is that translated just from that? Or what are some of the other factors that led to that? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's just who I am. I'm not this. I love practice. That's probably my favorite thing as a coach. I love practice. I enjoy it. If I could have a four-hour practice, I would because I love practices. The games are you know, not as fun for me than practices. I love practice. However, I am constantly thinking about our players' bodies. I want to be playing our best basketball at the end of the year. And so what I have thought and felt like that, if we go short, intense practices all year, then we are playing our best basketball at the end of the season. Instead of doing these three-hour practices, three hours, three hours, three hours, eventually their bodies and their minds are going to break down. And so what I have found to be effective is, and I tell our players this, you're going to make it as long as you want to make it. I've got a certain things that I want to be accomplished today. If you get accomplished, then we'll get in and get out of here. And I feel like those are quality reps versus quantity. We always talk about quality over quantity. We want just quality reps. And so after our guys realize how we do things, our practices end up being 90 minutes, but they're intense. They're, they're reps. But I'd much rather have a 90-minute practice than a three-hour practice where I just felt like we were just putting in time. Absolutely. And then I feel and do, like do you compete, Coach? Do you compete in each drill then? We try to make practice very, very competitive. And so, so do you have winners and losers or charting, or what are some of the things that you do to bring out competition? Yeah, so what the way we have done things, especially in the preseason, we switch teams every day, switch teams every day. And so, like, for us, we've got a black and gold because of our, you know, our colors here. And so black versus gold in drills. And so now if you – there's a, on the scoreboard is, is kind of like the score. I don't like running players after the drill. To me, now you're making them tired for the next drill, and they just kind of forget about it. I want teams to feel like they can kind of, like in a game, come back. And so over the course of a drill, we might have – I usually have – always have an odd number – you know, nine competitive drills for say. And so let's say black wins the first three drills. So on the scoreboard, it's going to read three, nothing black. That doesn't mean practice is over. They, they, you know, and so maybe the gold wins the next two drills. Now it's three to two. And so we, we run at the very end of practice. So it's just like a game. You either win practice or you lose practice. If there happens to be a tiebreaker, we might do a free throw thing or something like that. But I have found that to be the most effective because I felt like that if, if after every drill, this team runs a 22, now they're tired for the next drill. I want to get better at what we're working on, but also want them to understand some of our best practices have been where a team has maybe been down four drills to nothing. And then they come back and they come back just like in a game. And at the end though, we, it's a, it's, it's, it's a substantial amount because I'm trying to get them to hate to lose. And so there's consequences for losing. There's consequences for losing games. There's consequences for losing practices. And so at the very end of practice, our players will run, the losing team only. So if you win practice, you don't run. You don't run. I love and that. And it, 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 sorry, it frames it for players, too, in terms of, as you talked about, there's different situations that will evolve naturally in practice that will help build some of the resilience that you want to see in a game. As you said, they're down 4-0 in drills. That's a natural consequence and logical consequence that they have to now compete to be able to get back to try and win in practice. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's the way we do things. And then we have a, we have a, we have a board on practice. And so every day, it's kind of like, you know, as a coach, you can't emphasize everything or you emphasize nothing. So what do you want to emphasize? So we want to emphasize rebounding and turnovers. And so we've got 10 balloons usually. Sometimes we less, you know, they'll know how many balloons are over there. And so for an unforced turnover, we, they, that, that person runs over and pops the balloon. And so it's a big pop. Everybody hears it, kind of lets everybody know. And then if we run out of balloons, and so if we pop all of them, for every other turnover, we have a, 
you know, a, a consequence or running consequence as a team, not that individual, it's a team. And then that's every day. We got the balloons every day. Every day was rebounding. That's the things we chose to emphasize turnovers are rebounding. So a miss hit, we call them hits, a miss hit as a team. The most thing, these are all team things. It's not individual. And so we may say, Hey, today you got, you only get five miss hits. And so if we, we see a miss hit, once we get to six, teams running. And then we call it do your job. And so we're positionless basketball. So some guys, we crash. Some guys, we get back. So if you're just a get-back guy, some, some lineups, we have three get-back guys. Some guys will have four crashers. But, like, if you don't do your job, you know, we mark it up there, so we'll run for that. And then each day, we just have a wild card. And so that can be an intangible. That can be a basketball thing but it usually gets their attention on whatever we're wanting to focus on. And maybe, you know, each day you walk up and you're like, I'll practice for you. Like, Hey, we need to clean up this. That usually becomes your wild card the next day. And so once again, every day, our players are emphasized the balloons with turnovers, rebounds, but then a wild card. And once again, the wild card's got a number on it. And so if it is affecting shots, which is what we call, we don't talk about contesting shots. We talk about affecting at our level contesting the shots really not good enough. There's too many good shooters. So we, we talk about how to affect it. And so like the wild card might be affected shots. And so when there wasn't an affected shot, boom, there it goes. And so, you know, that, that, that's how we do practice. I think it works for us. Most importantly, I think it works for me. And I think it helps our team. But the, No, I like that, Coach. Affected shots. I mean, let's start with that one. What actually defines that then? What is the difference between a contestant and an affected shot in your terminology? To us, our definition of effective shot is it's anything but a rhythm shot. So you've got to find a way by contesting it, yelling shot might affect it. Your mouth can affect it. But you can't let a guy just catch and take a rhythm shot. And so we find a way to – we just really try to emphasize our guys getting a guy when they're closing out, getting him out of just a rhythm shot. And because I feel like in today's game, if I just go contest it, unfortunately, it contest is just not quite good enough. You know, yeah, makes like, sense. Let's say Steph Curry, you just go and contest Steph Curry, he's going to make it. Find a way to affect it. Find a way to not let him get a rhythm shot off. And whatever that may be. But can't let a player get a rhythm shot off as our way of an effect. I guess uh, the natural follow-up question, too, is who's who's blowing up the balloons every day, Coach? I can picture you in your office doing that now, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's not me. I uh, We have a great set of, of managers that do that, and, and uh, we got to go buy balloons, you know, a couple times a year. But I think that I ask the players sometimes, hey, how do you think that works? And they, they think it works. It's just the significance of the pop and you going over and doing it. And then looking, also looking over and seeing only as we're going up through drills, you're looking over and seeing, hey, there's only four balloons. And you'll hear our team sometimes like, hey, 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 guys, there's only two balloons left. Let's take care of the ball. Well, if there wasn't balloons up, would they be saying that to each other? Would they be saying, hey, let's take care of the ball? Probably not. And so it, it, it helps them learn to, you know, to, to hold each other accountable to value the basketball. Well, it creates a visual for them, and, and and that's exactly what you're saying. And the other part to me that kind of struck me a little bit is the psycholo- it's a little bit psychological in terms of a positive, too, which is this concept of letting it go, parking, thought-stopping. Uh, a lot of professional players will have something, like some visual cue where they stamp out or they close their fist or they snap something on their wrist to indicate let it go. And as soon as you hear that balloon pop, it's like, next play, let it go, let's refocus. So I love that visual and then that potential of that uh, psychological effect too. Yeah. And sometimes our wild card is a positive. Okay. And so that's, you know, that's where I don't, I want to be clear is we got the rebounding and balloons every day, but our wild card might be, we've got to get eight good for great passes. Our wild card might be, we've got to get eight examples of being a great teammate today. And it's, it's like I said, it's not always the basketball. It's an intangible thing. And those have been very beneficial. And so the wild card 
can you can get creative with it. It doesn't always have to be an effect. It can be an, an intangible that, that really helps your team as well. And I know you're uh, big on visuals and I love that. You talked about as having a charge wall up in the locker room too, which is another visual, right? Yeah, so we've got a wall in the locker room, charge wall. When we, Mike Young and I, uh, we, we played in the NC tournament, Wofford, and we played it uh, in Milwaukee. We practiced at Marquette. And Buzz Williams, the head coach at, at uh, Texas A&M now, we saw it in their film room. It was in their offices. We were just kind of walking around looking for ideas. And we saw all these pictures of charges around. And so we thought, that's pretty cool. And so we started doing that at Wofford. And then, you know, here at, at App State, we've got a whole wall and it says the charge wall it's on the, and it's got the definition of a charge, you know, just the ultimate act of, of, of sacrifice for a team and unselfish play. And so we take a picture of it, of the actual charge in the game and we print it out and it's color. We tape it up and it becomes a little bit of a culture thing of what you guys are about, what you guys embrace, but it also is, you know, almost becomes a little bit of a competition. You know, it happens to be in our film room. And so every time we're in that room, which is a lot, you know, before we get started, you'll hear players kind of say, hey, I got six up there, man. You got, you only got one. Hey, man, where you at? I ain't even seen you up there. You know, so it becomes a little bit of a, of a, you know, competition, but kind of also um, self-pride as well. Yeah, you're not going to catch me. I got 11 charges up there. And so it, it – and it also helps us kind of refer back during the season to, hey, listen, you know, before a game or so, hey, listen, look at that charge wall. Last time we played these guys, we had five charges. All right, can we get six tonight? And, um, hey, guys, we, we've lost two games in a row. Well, look up there well, on that charge. Well, we haven't had a charge in two games. There's a little bit of correlation with that. And all of a sudden now they're, you know, going out there and maybe getting four or five charges. But I like it. I think that it, it just – it gives you an idea of what your team could be about. So I'm, I'm curious, obviously you value charges, which is great. A lot of coaches do. So I'm also curious because one of the problems with valuing charges is that we value the, the end result, but even if there's no charge, a player can play outstanding defense in terms of positionally stopping the ball. So are there other things that you do to be able to notice those times where players don't take a charge, but they're in position early, they prevent a basket attack or they force a kick out or something like that. Yes, we do all that stuff. We have a grading system that we do internally. Um, I don't, I'm very careful not to give our players too much info. Yep. I don't think they think the way we think in a little bit, but we, we internally grade all that stuff. And so we could we could go back after a game and be like, hey, this and this ball screen defense, side ball screen defense was really a weakness this game, or this, that, and the other. Um, but I don't, I don't give all our players that all that information, and not in the sense of any other reason. I just want to overload their minds. I think that once again, I think that you got to pick and choose what you emphasize, and and, and keep it simple. And so we're we're the charge wall is just up in the locker room. So it's not, it's not even talked about every day, but it kind of is because it's up on the wall. And so, but it's not like we're talking about every day, but you know, the balloons, I don't walk out there and necessarily say anything about the balloons every day. They just see the balloons there. Now they know, they know what the deal is. And so I'm, I'm very careful not to over, um, over, over coach and, 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 um, I always talk to our staff about this and listen, I don't want to overcoach. Okay. We, we, but once again, stuff like that, we know internally, you know, Hey, listen, this was, this, this guy cut this guy off. This was great help. Uh, but there's no visual grading for stuff like that. So you, you, you've also said the leading rebounder from the previous win gets to pick music in practice, you can talk about that, but also when do you use music in practice? Yeah. So, you know, basketball is a game, right? And so a game's got to be fun. And so I really want our players to be walking down the gym every day and excited about playing basketball, excited about practice, because it's a long year. It is a long year. And I think you've got to have some of that stuff. But I, uh, with our warm up, um, 
with when we do in you know post perimeter shooting we play music um and i don't have a problem with it so i would say you know 25 minutes a day you know we do you know shots for 15 20 minutes and our warm up is 8 minutes um uh, you know what we let our guys listen to music and so if we win after wins leading rebounder picks we listen to their music um the language prohibited and all that stuff um, during those times all the way up to the next game. And so the game, it might only be, we might have a game in two days. Well, that's, that's what you get. You get two days of music, but we might have a four days off. They get, you get four days of the music, but they get into it. They get into it and you start listening to different players, musics and, and things like that. But once again, I think it's just something to kind of keep it fun, keep it light. And it's a long season. They've got to have some fun. They got to have some fun, and um, coach, you say that, and I want to ask because uh, I, I know this is another thing that I saw on, on your notes, and I was just like, do fun games like Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy on the road, uh, and I couldn't agree more that the season has to be fun. I mean, athletes have to enjoy themselves for everyone to get maximum benefit. So, can you talk about some of these fun games that you do on the road too? Because I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So. When we're on the road, we have a, a like a nightly walkthrough. And so it's usually 9.49, you know, 10 o'clock. It's late. Um, but we'll watch film. And – but then we'll – there are times where we'll play a, a Will of Fortune game, a Jeopardy game, a family feud, but it's based off the scouting report. And so everything, every game we do is based off the team we're playing and so the the will of four will of fortune answers will be based off of the scouting report. So things that we've gone over because this is the night before the game, and we'll split the team up in two groups, and we take up phones for meals and before road games. And so we usually take phones up at eleven fifteen or so. And so I may sometimes it varies. I may say, hey, winning team gets to keep their phones. 15 minutes to 1130, you know, just something simple like that. But all the games that we do are based around the scouting reports for our opponent. That's we did crossword puzzles. (laughs) We did crossword puzzles. We've done that. We've done um, family feud, little fortune jeopardy. There's a couple more that I may not think, but like, Fortunately, technology today, you can go online and kind of create your own Will of Fortune games and your own Jeopardy games and all that. And, and so it makes it kind of easy because you just got to plug in the answers. And, um, you know, we'll have a personnel. I'll take personnel for a 200, you know, and it's a question about, a, you know, a certain player. And um, it, it, you know what it does? It, it, it proves to you that they know it, uh, but they have fun with it, too. Is it, does it spark even more interest in learning things because they get to kind of like compete about it. They get to kind of have fun with it. And obviously they get to hold each other accountable too, in kind of a goofy, like non-threatening way, which is different than you sitting in a film session and calling them out saying they don't know something, right? This is a goofy, fun way to hold them accountable. Correct. And I tried to study. Um, I tried to last summer, I tried to study what, the millennial age of learning. Okay. And what reaches them. And one of the things that is a common theme with this age group is they really learn from each other a lot. That's the best one of the best ways they learn is they pay attention to each other and obviously visual. So off topic about the the games, but like, this year I had a couple film sessions where we divided it up in uh, the team in three groups. We gave each group a laptop and we gave them all five clips. The, the small groups of four people or whatever it was, they had five clips. They had to, they had to, to watch the film. No coaches were in the groups, see what was good or bad. And then that group got in front of the team and taught the rest of the team what they saw. So, hey, the tags, the tags on the rolls were too low. 
this one we didn't our effect wasn't very good our ball pressure wasn't very good right here this one we had you know just great jump to the ball whatever it may be but that's how this group learns best and so we've done some of those things as well but like going back to the games they're in it together they're having fun but they're also teaching one another and so if someone in that group doesn't know the answer, they learn it. And so. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you also talked about uh, doing these small group things. And I think you've also related that to you do this before games with assistance, right? These small groups, rather than all these big team meetings, you do some small group meetings. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So before a game with 65 on the clock, we start our small group meetings. And so with 65 on the clock, um, you know, guards and, or, you know, so you've got, you know, six, seven guys with two, two, two coaches and six, seven guys with the other coaches. And it, they last about four minutes, but it's, it's, it's small group settings. I'm not in either one of them. I'm outside kind of walking around. I'm not even around. And it's just, Small group, anything, you get any questions about anything else? Because people are more comfortable in a small group. They might not be more comfortable in a group of 14 people and all their peers to say, hey, coach, all right, could you could you, could we remind how we're going to guard that again? Like, I know you talked about it shoot around today, but, like, I just want to make sure. They're much more comfortable doing that around five or six guys and around an assistant coach sometimes. And so I want them to have that time. And then they flip. So then the six other guys go to the other two coaches, and then the other two guys go to the other two coaches. So we spent about – that's part of our game prep, about the first eight to ten minutes is just small group reminders. Then we get together as a team, and we go through the scouting report, personnel, one more time. Then they go out to warm up. And so one thing I don't want to do is warm them up, slow up, bring them in, warm them up again. Cool, hot, down. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. So they may go out and shoot before 65, which all of them do that. But it's not high intensity, you know, loose stretch. You know, it's just their kind of routine shooting. But from about 65 to 55 on the clock, a small group meetings, about 55 to, you know, 47 – we're going through the scouting report again from 47 all the way to 15. They're warming up. So then they only come in one more time. They come in at 15, use the bathroom, whatever, get ready for the game. I go through, that's the first time I talk to them. 15 on the clock is uh, just my, my reminders, things like that. We break it down and go play. And, um, you know, we've put a lot of thought into that, but I think those small group meetings, listen, if you can help two players, it's worth it. You know, if it helps one player to understand that something better for that game, then it's worth it. And so yeah, I think it works for us, but that's, that's what we do there. Well, and, I, and coaches who are listening are, are sensing this theme about this small, these small groups and these small groupings that you use because you also use them for pre-practice warm-up too, don't you? You group, you group into two groups? Yeah, so we start every – and um, it's really not even scripted. You know, sometimes I'll go, hey, half, half – I don't want to make it too complicated. Hey, half over there, half over here. <laughs> and so I got this. I went to Celtics training camp two years ago. And I thought I saw the Celtics do this, and I just thought it made a little sense. Instead of your whole team um, lining up and stretching, um, so we got for four minutes, we got you know five or six guys doing two ball dribbling, maybe some passing, and then the other five or six are stretching. Now there's no now when we when early in the season we were doing teams black gold we usually do it that way black down here gold down here. Um, but it's just random. Hey, you stretch, you guys. And so, and then we flip. So you stretch for minutes and then the other guys are, you know, doing some extra passing drills or balling drills. Like when you get into practice, those type of player development things and those type of, of drills can get lost 
but they're still important. And so how many times is, during a season from October to, to, to February does a player do two-ball dribbling? Well, with us, he's going to do it a lot. You know, two or three minutes a day potentially. That, that adds up. Uh, or the other part it. of that, coach, is that it's it's player led by and large, right? Like it's 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 not this scripted, organized part of practice, as you said. It's 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 a part that takes place before practice, where players take ownership of it and they're empowered to do it on their own, right? Yeah. Now we've got a coach down there that's kind of maybe doing, hey, let's do let's do this. You know, one coach, hey, look, it's just down there with the guy stretching because we're getting them moving, but it's very. There's music going. It's very – they know it's part of practice, but, like, we, we may work on pivoting. Hey, all right, all right, some coach may say, hey, listen, let's get in two lines. Let's work on pass, bounce pass, front pivot, bounce pass, reverse pivot, where it's just something fundamental. Um, but, yeah, it's not, it's not super intense. Uh, like I said, there's music going, and um, it's getting them ready. But instead of lining up, the whole sideline with the players, you're just kind of stretch. It's just not what we do. I'm not saying it's wrong, but, you know, every day, every day something's different. You know, we, you know, with, with the um, – something's different with the ball handling or passing, you know, which is – it engages them. You know, it's something, something new every day. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, I think relative to other programs, one of the other unique things you've talked about is that you lift a lot during the season. Do you feel that you lift more than other programs during the season? And where does that philosophy come from? Yeah, I don't. Three or four years ago, I heard Chris Beer, when he was at Little Rock, talk at the Final Four, went to the women's clinics. He said that. He said, I think what makes us different, we lift a lot during the season. And it just got me thinking, you know, hmm. and so I, uh, I don't know if other teams do it a lot, but we, we lift a lot during the season. We really do. And, uh, we will lift at least twice a week and they're not recovery lifts. They're not 20 minute lifts. Like we're going to live for an hour twice a week at least. And some guys that maybe aren't as planned as much will go three times, but I think it's really, really helps. I think it's been beneficial. It's a confidence thing. I saw, I was watching film at the end of the year and we were playing a team that we hadn't played in a while. And I remember thinking, wow, he's a lot bigger now than he was two months ago. And so if you can, that, that was also probably a confidence builder and things like that. And, and I think uh, what, what I'm curious about is that um, that that continues what you do in the off season because often the off season and the in season become very separate entities for players. Like one obviously is is based on hypertrophy and getting bigger and getting stronger, and then the other is just maintenance. But this keeps a little bit more continuity to it. The fact that you're continuing trying to get better, right? Yeah, you know, in the off season it's 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 ramped up a little bit. Obviously, we do four days of an hour of lifting. Um, we don't, we don't do any cardio, you know, during the season. Um, but I'm not a guy that's just going to take our guys out there and run them. Okay. I, I always tell them you're not, you're not running track. You're not cross country. Like how are we going to get in shape? We're going to get in shape by playing basketball. That's how we're going to get in shape. And, and so, um, you know, like I'm not trying to, grind them in the ground in August and September in the off season to get them in shape. They're going to get in shape. They're going to get in shape. Uh, I'm always thinking long-term. I'm always thinking about their bodies. And so, but uh, in the flip side, I'm always thinking about January, February, how are we getting stronger, how are we getting bigger? And, um, you know, I definitely feel our growth has been part of the weight room during the season. Very cool. And uh, speaking of off season a little bit, uh, what what do your off seasons look like in terms of, uh, you know, are, are you practicing as a group? Or are you doing individual workouts more pick up? What are you guys doing in the off season? Yeah, it's a great question. And everybody's different, right? Uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's the thing as a coach and the beauty of it, you can do whatever you feel is best for you and your team. And so 
I'm not saying what we do is right or wrong. It just works for us. In the offseason, for us, we do all offensive skill development. And I feel and I know our players get a lot better. So it's small groups, uh, 45 minutes at a time, two or three guys. Our, typically, our whole coaching staff is out there. And they feel the investment from all of us. And, uh, you know, I feel like that, that our guys get better. I know they do. You know, we've got proof in the stats and the, and the growth that our guys improve. But no one's really interested in doing a bunch of closeouts in, the, in July, in my opinion. You know, like, once again, are they excited about coming to the gym? And we're going to get the defense. We, we finished second in defense in Sunbelt this year. We held 13 teams under 60. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. To me, it's more of a mentality as, as much as anything. But I don't need to get to it in July. And I don't need to get to it in August. And if I do, they're going to not look forward to coming to the gym. And so – this is just what works for us, but, you know, our guys get better. You get with their player three or four days a week, um, and we get two hours a week with them, um, you know, for, for 30, 45 minutes, and that stuff adds up. It's all you reps, and, uh, and then we continue to do that in practice. Uh, it, it, it's obviously a little bit bigger groups, you know, position-wise, but – Still a lot of reps, and I feel like our guys. I feel like our guys get better. I couldn't agree more. I mean, in terms of the defense being more of a team focus when you get to the season, and uh, the off season is time to obviously have them love the game and enjoy getting better. And offense is really that focus. But uh, I'm curious then how how do you structure pickup in the off season? Do you, do you play in certain with certain constraints or certain things that have to happen, or is it free pickup? What's happening in pickup? Yeah, so it's another good question. Once again, I just think this works for us. So we will do pickup a little bit different. So we we make teams. Obviously, we're not out there. All right, we're not out there. Um, yeah. But we make teams and we keep records. We keep wins only, not losses, just wins. And so we post wins in the locker room, you know, after every day. But like we'll have one on one night where our guys will be in a you know, a, a bracketed one-on-one double elimination tournament. When does your six-nine center ever play your six-foot one? Go, your your six-one guy in one-on-one? Never. Well, guess what? Team switch pick and rolls, uh, switch ball screens. They're gonna you're gonna see that guard driving the big or or vice versa, right? And so, why not let them it's basketball? You know, I don't think you can ever use the word absolute in basketball. There's just so much. That's the beauty of it. But we'll do two on two night. No ball screens. You know, we'll always put one concept on the sheet and, and, and it's got teams. And then we always assign one player to record wins and bring it back to us. So it kind of gives one person in charge of, I got to make sure that, you know, I got to who wins and I got to turn this back in. I don't want to be out there watching pickup. I, you know, I, there's some always some just pickup, right? I don't get too high with the highs and low with the lows. But I also think that if you just let your players go out there and play five-on-five pickup every night, every night for a week at a time, one, most of your players are getting left out. They're just running up and down the court. What's the best way to get them the quality reps? The best night we have are three-on-three night. And so – you know, it might be set up with – and then we always put a time limit on it. Like, I don't like for our players, as crazy as it sounds, like I don't want our players playing pickup for three or four hours. And so we usually put 60 minutes up, and that's it. And that may sound weird, but, like, I think that, once again, we're just trying to get them to play high intensity, competitive, and then move on. Have your Enjoy the rest of your day. But letting our guys go out there and play pickup for two and a half, three hours – that's not going to be good for everybody. But three on three night, you got to play these three guys and you play the 20 and the best of seven. And then you play this team, team. And then we do four on four. There are some times we do five on five. Okay. But rarely, rarely, we do not play five on five in the summer. It's mostly three on three, four on four, 
with a concept. Uh, let's start everything with a pin down. Now we're not out there, but like they know, I assume it's going on. I assume that we're starting everything with a pin down. I assume we're no switching, no switching defensively, you know, and I assume that they're holding each other accountable with that kind of stuff. But, and I believe we are, but those are the kind of, that's how we kind of do pick up in the soft season. That's cool. Well, I think even that, that key part that you said there is about valuing the time of your players, which I think is you talked about reading about this generation of people, these generation of young people. And that's such a huge component of it is that they have things outside of basketball. It's, it's just different because they've been brought up with so many more opportunities than we were, well, than I was. I'm not sure your age, coach. But so valuing their time is such a huge part. So I love that idea of putting 60 up. It doesn't have to be four hours of pickup to get better in addition to that. You talk a lot about standards. I'm not sure. Do you have standards? Do you have expectations? Do you have rules? How do you approach that within your team? Are, do you have rules? So I, I don't have a bunch of rules because I feel like when you are ruled, you just abide by them. You don't believe in them. And so I want them to believe in them. But if I have a bunch, I shouldn't have to have a rule for you to be honest. That's not a rule. That should be who we are. I, I shouldn't have to have a rule for you to go to class. That's, that should be who we are. And so I, I feel like that when you have a bunch of rules, once again, I think your players just abide by them and believe in them. And so we have three team rules. One, no drugs. Two, you're not allowed to speak about a, a teammate unless that teammate's present. Three, when someone asks you about our team, you have to mention someone else. Our standards is our team picks because I want them to believe in them. I want them to have ownership in them. And so every year I, I've had our team get in a room and I always tell them, hey, you got to bring me the standards by next Wednesday. So you got a week. If you guys can't get in the room and figure it out, then we got more problems. And so they've always done it. They brought them to me and then I approve them. Sometimes I've added one or two and with their approval. And then we post those up in the locker room for that particular team. Next year, our standards might be different, but I let them pick them and I'm going to hold them accountable. Now those rule, those standards are things like don't do anything to embarrass your last name, this university, this program listen and speak to your teammates openly and honestly respect your peers and professors they've always kind of had be on time for me. well that's their rule they my rule i mean that, that's their standard it's not mine you know in the sense like where i'm going to hold them accountable for it. like y'all came up with this these are your standards for our team and um i think it works that way a little bit better because and then before every practice i asked a random person a different standard and if they don't know what we run. So every, when we huddle up and practice before practice starts, Chris, give me a standard. And, you know, I don't know the number of them, but there's probably eight or nine. Or I'll ask them, hey, what's this sign in our locker room say? Because I don't want them to just have stuff up on the walls and them not know what it is. They got to believe in it. I don't put a lot of stuff up. But what you do have up, I want them to know. And if you've got something in that locker room up and one of your players don't know what it is after 12 months, then they're not very bought in. And, uh, but I hold them accountable for knowing that kind of stuff. And which, which you should, and which is great coach. I'm curious. Can you talk about the one that, uh, I think it was your team motto for this year. Take the stairs. That's been our motto ever since I've been a head coach. I read a book, Roy Vaden, before I became a head coach, I just really thought about it, made a lot of sense to me. And I thought it fit. You want your team to take on your personality. I, I wanted our, I think any good mid-major program or really good, or any good organization has got some sort of brand. You know, New England Patriots, do your job. I could keep going, right? There's, you know, um, some football. Yeah, and so when I read that book, it, it just thought it fit me in my background a little bit. Take the stairs. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't play at Indiana. I didn't play at North Carolina or UCLA. To, and so I felt like I had to take the stairs in the coaching. And what is take the stairs? It's a mentality. It's not literally physically taking the stairs, even though I do, if I've got a choice, I do it. But in the, what it says is 
in our society, 95% of our people, if they've got a chance to take stairs or an escalator, they're going to take the escalator, right? A lot of people, instead of wanting to go out and start their own business, they're going to try to go play a lottery. Instead of going and working out, they're going to try some new souped up diet pill. And so at the end of the day, most people want it easy. And so I always talk to our team about originally what take the stairs means and that we don't want it easy. And that's not who we are. We don't want it easy. And so our guys start, you know, we put it on shirts and things. Hey, we're going to take the stairs today. Like we're going to put the work in. It's, it's, a, it's a blue collar approach. Uh, you're gonna, we're going to roll our sleeves up and work around here. We're not going to just want it easy. And that's kind of where that all comes from. Love it, Coach. And I think people that are listening to you can tell why you've been able to turn around two programs and why you're continuing to have success. And uh, we know you're going to continue to grow the Appalachian State program. So uh, thank you for taking the time and spending some time with us. Well, it's an honor. I, I look at your site every single day. And I look at you and pickandpop.net every day. Those are two my two go-tos. And so I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate what you do for growing the game. You know, I think that's the beauty of the game now. And I talk to young coaches. You know, when I was growing up, there wasn't – you kind of had to go to clinics. There wasn't a lot of videotape out there, you know, to read books. Now, with people like you and and – other sites and videos you can learn any you can learn the game of basketball it's out there and that always hasn't been the case and so I just as a guy that just loves the game and loves what the game's about I appreciate people like you just trying to grow it and it's an honor to be on here and and I can't thank you enough well thank you coach and uh, appreciate those words Coaches, I wanted to let you know there is a new video available at bivideoproductions.com. Learn the tagging up system with Aaron Fern at www.aaronfernbasketball.com or at bivideoproductions.com. As the concept of the tagging up has become more popular, take this opportunity to learn how to improve your offensive rebounding and transition defense from Aaron Fern, the innovator of this system, who has used it at the professional and youth levels. Go to www.aaronfernbasketball.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-F-E-A-R-N-E basketball.com. To find out more about Coach and all we spoke about today, please take a look at the show notes for today's episode. I love to share the game and have basketball coaching conversations, so connect with me on social media. You can find all my social media information and all your membership, clinic, and consulting needs at basketballimmersion.com. That concludes today's episode. I know there are so many podcasts out there. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the basketball podcast with me, your host, Chris Oliver. Please subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so that we can keep bringing you the best of what's out there and share the game.